You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello. Hi, guys. Welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. I'm Krista. And I'm Lindsay. So glad you're here. We're very grateful to whoever recommended Almost 30 to you. We love our community and it's been the biggest reason for our success and growth and we connect with you guys all over the world whether it's the facebook group or now on lives we just want to be close to you and we've uh, just realized how important you all are to us and each other especially during this time where we are experiencing you know something we've never experienced before so a first time and it's it's been up and down and all over, but I do find a lot of peace and comfort in just connecting with you all. So we hope you feel the same. The secret Facebook group rocks. Mm-hmm. So if you're not in there, please join. There are many, many, many people in there just kind of talking every day. Yeah. And another first for us, our first cease and desist. Oh, is I was being, waiting for that. Is being sent by our lawyer, Mark, now. <laughs> Amazing. It's just a mark of, you know, making it. Totally. (laughs) Sending a $1,000 cease and desist letter. But the community, eyes and ears are peeled and they sent us something that we needed to be aware of. And I actually didn't care at all until I had the conversation with Mark. And I think that's the job of the lawyers to like rally you up. But after the conversation with Mark, our lawyer, where we, you know, explored the trademark infringement that essentially it was of these people that were, you know, trademark infringing on us, I realized that I was mad. I was like, oh, I'm kind of like adrenaline right mm. right now. I'm like, I'm a little mad. It's an inter like it's a, a lesson, especially as a female or the feminine is just like to be like, oh no, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> why well, just I was like, whatever. I don't know. I just this this situation had been brought to our attention a year ago, but since it's it's been amplified. And I guess I just didn't realize what trademark infringement was and like uh, the reaper, like if they're making money with our name, you know, there's just all that. But I was thinking, I'm like, I don't want to actually be a part of these conversations anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to be at a level above this where like their lawyer's talking to our lawyer and like, I don't even know about all the lawsuits that are happening. Because think about like Beyonce or something. Uh, Yeah. You know what I mean? Like all the the boardwalk shops in Venice that have t-shirts printed with like Beyonce on them, those are technically Mm -hmm. like not authorized by her. And there's probably hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits that are filed all the time, you know, that they don't even know about. So it was just was interesting, but yeah, it was like, wow, this is like where we're at. <laughs> also, I was like, oh, this is why lawyers are so expensive. I mean, are we paying more for <laughs> than what we what we would get? Is it, so what does a cease and assist mean? You said a thousand dollar cease and assist. Yeah, it's just a, an email. They would pay? We we pay him to write the email. Right. But 
But meaning like, what is the thousand dollar point? What is that? It's a thousand dollars for us to have him write an email. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are. I mean, peace and love to lawyers. You guys totally, you guys do God's work. (laughs) As I I always say, but interesting. Um, And really quick before we talk about Ramit with this episode, because this episode is one of my Mm, faves. I am going to go on for probably the next 40 minutes about Ramit. I'm really excited about the new paradigm digital workshop series that we have. So all of the community was talking about ways in which they wanted to grow, expand, and evolve during this time. So we brought together some of our favorite teachers, healers, um, intuitives, speakers, authors uh, to provide the resources and tools through intense workshops that we're going to be hosting over the next couple months. So we have people like Ryan Weiss, Peter Kelly, Nicole Lappin, Natalie Miles. Uh, we had Natalia Benson. And it has been such a profound way in which we are you know, all evolving together to attend these workshops and really get the tools and dig deep in how we can like change our lives during these times. Yeah, I think it's been really cool to create these containers to have experiences because interviews are incredible. But I do think like to create a a container with these experts and teachers and guides of sorts to go deeper and to involve the community, have those Q&As, have those experiences like we did Milana Snow and we had a healing and it's just, it's really, really special. So if you can make it live, I could not recommend enough. For those of you that missed Milana and Jenna, we have those on the website for, um, for you to get as well well. So check that out. You can go to shopalmost30.com or you can go to Almost 30 Podcast and uh, click on digital series. Yeah. The Jenna Zoe workshop is about um, going deep into human design. We break down some important aspects of reading your human design chart and how those can help you really to tap into your intuition and find your calling. And then Milana Snow was about energy healing. There's an actual energy healing within the workshop and then being your own healer. So both of those, like, like Lindsay said, are available on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have inner peace available for you. This is, you know, the tips, tools, and strategies that Krista and I have implemented throughout the years to really come back to ourselves and cultivate this feeling of peace and groundedness, no matter what happens. And so we just wanted to create a resource for you to use, you know, especially during this time, but then beyond. So we're excited to offer that. You can find out more at almost or shopalmost30.com. Yes. All right, y'all. Today's episode. Today's episode, I have... It was a party. Dude, Ramit's book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, changed my life, you know, five, maybe five or so years ago when he was on Tim Ferriss. Mm -hmm. And I was captivated by the way he spoke. Like, honestly, I will teach you to talk. He is like so charismatic, grounded, a great listener, relatable. The way he speaks, period, is just, for me, incredibly inspiring. But also him being one of the most progressive voices within the financial literacy, wellness, awareness space is like another true gift he has. Yeah, and I just love, like, it's real talk. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. And I think when it comes to finances and money and investing and getting really good with that, you got to be real about it, at least for me and how I learned. So 
I also love he's just not one of those people that's like, okay, you got to like not do the lattes. You can't do this. He's really about actually indulging in things that you care about and noticing where you're spending money in things that you don't really care about. I also thought this was interesting. He doesn't allow anyone with credit card debt from joining his premium material. And this is really like an important part of his, of his teachings where it is getting rid of that debt first. That is so important. Sometimes we feel like that part of our debt can be so overwhelming. It's just going to be there forever. But I just love his straight talk Mm -hmm. as it relates to that. Yeah, we were laughing. This is like also a really fun one. You guys are really going to enjoy this conversation. And Ramit was on Lacey's uh, a few Mm -hmm. few weeks ago. And Lacey's just really obsessed with Ramit as well. So we're excited. We talk about just a lot as it relates to credit card debt, what it's like from your 20s to your 30s financially, what we should be thinking about and aware of, and a lot of other things. Yeah. And budgeting was like a a refreshing conversation around bu- budgeting. And we also talked about just him growing up. He comes from an Indian American family. So there was just a lot of free programming that he did around, you know, doing what he loved and and making money in the way that he makes money now. He also talks about his relationship with his wife and um, talking about a prenup, which was really interesting. So just can't wait for you to meet Remit if you don't know him already. You can find out more at IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com and his book of the same name is incredible. So definitely get that. Yeah, and we also have this as a video. So on our YouTube, youtube.com slash almost 30 podcasts, we have this full interview in video form. Mm-hmm. So you can check out almost 30 podcasts on Instagram for some of the clips. And then the full video is on our YouTube. So we have a few really exciting videos of interviews coming out in the next couple months. And we're so glad that this is one of them. Yeah. All right. We love you. Thank you for listening. And we will see you on the other side. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. So glad to have you. It's like, <laughs> it's a huge full circle moment for me. We've had maybe two of those in my life where it was someone that I listened to on a podcast in 2015, 2016, and just really made an impact on my life. I followed so much of, I will teach you to be rich. That's why I'm a multimillionaire now, owning houses all over the world. Just kidding. But I did apply a lot of the principles that you talked about within your practices for my life now, and it's been huge. But what really struck <laughs> me about you was like, and I, I, I gonna, I'm going to sound like a little creepy, but it was like your charisma and the way that you speak. Thank you. I think is really profound. And I love the way that you, it's like you lean into conversations and you're mm-hmm. like, see, that's the thing. You know, it just, it's captivating in the way that you deliver material. And I think that's, for me, was so important to the message that you're mm. teaching. And I think, and I would actually like to, to, to start there with the way that you speak and how engaging you are, how paced you are. Do you, do you practice that or do you get a coach? I've done it all. I mean, I, I wasn't naturally good at sharing my message. And uh, when it comes to money, I think most of us have heard a lot of advice out there. You know, keep a budget, don't spend money on lattes, all that kind of stuff. And it's just such a turnoff. Who wants to listen to someone telling them what they can't do? And I remember, especially in my early 20s, once I learned how money worked, I tried to help my friends. And I was really overbearing. I was like, you need a Roth IRA. You need it. Don't you understand how much you're losing? 
and, and you're you can, like the uh, vegan. Yeah, yeah it's horrible. CrossFit vegans. You can just see their eyes glaze over in front of you. And so my reaction was to double down and say, no, really? Seriously, guys? <laughs> I don't know if it's a guy thing or just a, once you have a little bit of knowledge, you feel like you need to help other people. But what I learned was you can get good at something, but if you can't communicate it the right way, then what's the point? And so over the next 10 years, I learned what comes naturally to a lot of other people. I learned to listen more. I learned to ask more questions. I learned to just slow down and shut up. And ultimately, when people are ready to make a change, whether it's with earning more, investing, starting a business, then they will ask these amazing questions. But nobody can make you change unless you're ready to. Yeah, there's something to filling this space as like um, an avoidance of taking in what's being said or experienced and avoiding kind of the work that needs to be done. So true. In fact, there was a conference that uh, a friend of mine went to and he told me that the facilitator was very, very good at what she did. And at one point she asked a question of someone in the audience and he just started talking, blah, 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 blah. And she listened and then finally she said, you talk a lot. And he was stunned, quiet. And she said, I think you talk a lot so you don't have to listen to yourself. Mm. What a powerful concept of how many people, I see it every day in my Instagram DMs and my emails, where people will just spin and spin in their head. Well, I don't like my job, but the thing is, I don't want to get a job over here because I like this and then my health insurance, blah, blah, blah. It's like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> let's take it step by step here. It's true. So with, yeah, wow. actually I did want to talk about that. Like the way in which people are afraid to say they're scared and the way in which people will make all of the excuses and tell you all of the stories. Like, how do you, how can people notice that and unwind and kind of get grounded? I have learned that no one will ever come out and say, I'm scared. Never. And I, I won't either. To tell you the truth, I had a friend who used to run a magazine on fear and she invited me to go on for an interview. I'm like, fear? <laughs> what am I afraid of? <laughs> You're like, look at my shirt. No fear, dude. <laughs> I thought fear was this, uh, this thing about some animal chasing you in the savannah. I thought that's what fear was. And of course, we don't have that anymore. Fear for us is uh, this dull anxiety in the back of our head. Maybe I'm not making the right choice. Maybe I'm with the wrong person. Maybe I'm not fulfilling my potential. But we won't come out and say, I'm afraid, because especially in our culture, it's really weak. It's really... Um, it's not a good thing to say you're afraid. So what will we do instead? We'll do everything but, well, I really want to do this. I hate my job. I hate my relationship, but, and then we just start spinning. But da 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 And the, the common thing that people who give advice do is they just start giving you tactics. Have you tried this? What about that? Do you know about compound interest? And the, the reason that it doesn't connect with people is that you're not actually addressing what they truly are feeling, which is fear or anxiety. And if we could start there with money or careers, suddenly it becomes a much more honest conversation. And the truth is the tactics are not that hard, but getting to the point where you can actually make a plan, whew, that's, that's difficult. Mm. What would you say someone should do? Like for that, you know, like when you receive DMs, like what do you say to them when oh, it's oh. like the problem is the mindset or the fear? I ask a lot of questions. First of all, I love DMing people. It is, I believe it is the most 
truthful way to get inside someone heads, mm-hmm. someone's head these days because people are brutally honest on Instagram DMs. They're not as honest on Twitter. So people will send me responses to surveys that I run on Twitter. And it's very politically correct what mm. they say because they know other people are watching. Uh, but on emails and Instagram, which are private, they'll, they're much more honest. They're honest about who should pay for dates, uh, relationship issues, uh, why they are stuck in a job that they hate. They're really honest. So I ask them questions. I say, tell me more. How do you know? Like a lot of people will say right now, I asked them, uh, what's holding you back from starting a business? Right? A lot of people want to have a more flexible schedule. And one of the most common responses that really surprised me was, well, healthcare would be too expensive for me. And I said, how do you know? Now, think about this. A lot of these folks who were writing me have been dreaming about starting their own business for years. And that's what I teach. I have programs on it. And they have this healthcare thing in the back of their head. So I asked them, how would you know? They're like, well, I don't know, but it's probably really expensive. And the logical thing is to say, why don't you go on a healthcare calculator and Google? It'll take you 60 seconds. But that's the wrong approach. That's the Ramit Sethi of his early 20s. We can't do that. What we need to do is say, what would it look like if it were expensive? And they would say, well, I'd feel stuck. Da, da, da. I feel like I, I'm stuck today. What would it feel like if you discovered it's actually not that expensive? It's affordable. Oh my God, I would feel free, et cetera, et cetera. And you kind of ask these questions to lead people to making their own decision. Mm. That takes a lot more time, but wow, it's way more effective. I love that. This study of human behavior and the experience of money and finances is like what I love about your work. And so when did you make that connection and really start to do your research there? I started study it. <laughs> well, I started with money because in high school I got a bunch of scholarships because my parents told me I had to. And S- then sixty. Well, I applied to sixty-five. Okay. I didn't get that many. I'm um, a loser. I, <laughs> that's what my Indian parents told me. They're like, "Oh, did you know our neighbor got that one?" I'm like, Ugh. "Oh my god!" I got my entire college paid Savage. for. I'm still not keeping up. Any any Asian or Indian person listening is like, "Yep, yeah. I know what you're talking about." <laughs> So, so I thought I was genius, right? I, I got all this scholarship money and some of the money they wrote to me. So I put in the stock market. This is 1999, 2000. Lost half the money. I was like, oh shit. So I was like, I better learn how this works. And that was the beginning of learning about money. But the psychology and human behavior part, I've always been interested on an amateur basis. I think anyone who lives in like in New York or LA, maybe has gone on dates. You're just kind of naturally interested in human behavior. Mm-hmm. But then in college, I had the chance to actually study it. So I was studying technology and psychology. I was studying social influence and persuasion. And I was learning about money. And those two areas of life, money and psychology, absolutely fascinate me. They are so interesting because they reveal so much about ourselves. And yeah, I could teach you how to set up a Roth IRA and compound interest and all that stuff. Fine. That's in the book. But I think money and psychology reveal so much about ourselves. That's why I love it. And for you, you know, did you say immigrant parents? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So for you having immigrant parents, like what did that, what did your learning reveal about your psychology around it and Mm. your parents? Oh, wow. What a great question. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) So my parents came from India. Mm -hmm. My dad came uh, in the 70s and then he went back to India, met my mom. They got married. 
seven days later and she came back to America and uh, boy, there's so many things I learned from them. I learned, uh, number one, that, that the world has, you have something the world wants to hear. And I think that what you do as well is, is an amazing testament to that. Who would have thought that you could be sitting here just chit-chatting and helping thousands and thousands of people? And I think 20 years ago, this would have been impossible. We would have had to wait for some person on the Today Show to say, okay, come on over, some gatekeeper. No, now you did it. My parents taught me the same thing. They would say, we'd be talking over dinner and they'd say, that's a great idea. Why don't you write it up? Why don't you send it to the Sacramento Bee? It's like, wow, I'm just a kid. Mm. So they taught me that. And eventually I wrote a New York Times bestselling book. That's because of my parents. Uh, They also, they had a very frugality oriented mindset. And I have to say, I learned a lot from it. Our vacations were driving from Northern California to Southern California. We stayed with our family. We drove down in our van. We would stop and eat our packed lunches. Like it was a very frugal upbringing. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we did not have a beach house. We hardly ever flew, but we always felt taken care of. And I do remember some things that I only learned recently. Like for example, we were in a lot of sports, four kids. That can add up to a lot, even though it's public sports. I found out that, because uh, I asked my mom, how did you pay for all this stuff, like uniforms, things like that? She said, well, one time, AYSO, which is the soccer league, she said they had some registration fee. It was too much money. So I called them up and told them. And they said, well, if you come and chalk the field, we'll waive the fee. So my mom went and chalked the field oh, wow! so that she didn't have to pay the fee. I didn't even know that. I love that. That's, that's the kind of values that uh, my parents taught me. I will say that I learned a lot and I still embody that frugality mindset, but I do have a different philosophy, which is that there's a limit to how much you can cut, but no limit to how much you can earn. And so I think that by virtue of being born here, and being taught the things and educated the way I have been, I can even think bigger and think about earning more and compounding and spending extravagantly on the things I love. So that originated with my parents, but I've tried to extend the learnings. Mm, I love that. Mm. On this show, we tend to speak to people who are going through a lot of transitions. And so this show was started during our transition from our twenties to our thirties. Can you kind of give us some visibility into what that time was like for you? I think it helps people to give hope where like at any point you can really take control of learn about, be successful with money, finances, all the things. Yeah. Twenties and thirties are really formative in so many ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you ask someone at 20 years old, predict where you'll be at 30, it's just impossible to know. Do you remember that famous Steve Jobs commencement speech? Yeah. So that was my the, commencement. The dot connecting? Really? Yeah, yeah. I was no th- way. Yeah, that, that was at Stanford. I was there in the audience. And w- and we didn't realize at the time that it would be so famous. Wow. <laughs> we're, like, we're like, yeah, this is a cool speech. And then it went completely viral. We're like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> we were, were there. Like, I was there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So You're like, I'm hungover, but I was there. <laughs> Dude, graduation day. Honestly. Oh my God. Ooh, barely made it. Barely made it. <laughs> barely. <laughs> He, he said this thing, Steve Jobs said this thing. He said, only looking back could I connect the dots. And I think that's such a beautiful metaphor, especially for your 20s and your 30s too. 
looking forward, I don't know, I've never been the grand strategy kind of guy. You know, some people, they build this major life spreadsheet down to the week. I, I, I just don't do that. I'm like, I have a few things I like. I'm going to try to get better at it every day. And I think in general, I have good instincts and things will work out. That's my just general philosophy. So I think sometimes when it comes to productivity and stuff, we feel bad if we're not hyper-organized and all that stuff. Like, I like my calendar. I really care about that, but I, I can't make 10-year plans. It's just not my style. I will say that in my 20s, I graduated from college. I was deciding what to do, <clears throat> and I was going to go work at Google. And I was like, yeah, okay, should I work at Google, which I had a job offer from after being rejected the first time? I went back again, got the offer, and or should I go do this startup? And I asked a lot of people for advice. And th this is one thing that I think I did well. I always ask people for advice, whether it's in my 20s or even when we were thinking about getting married, we asked our married friends for like, what makes a good marriage? What should we think about? And um, some of my married friends were like, oh, wow, that's the first time I've ever been asked that. Yeah, they're like, they're looking at each other like, I don't know, man. <laughs> so um, so my, friends, my friends and mentors, they gave me a lot of interesting advice about career choices. And... One of the pieces of advice they gave me actually made me really mad. They said, well, if you go work at Google, you'll have this great resume. And I was like, I got a pretty good resume already. When do I get to stop chasing the magical resume stamp? When? And that advice actually made my decision for me because I decided I'm not going to chase the accolades on paper anymore. I already got them. And so what's next? So I turned that offer down. I did this startup. I was living in a house with four guys in Mountain View. My rent was 800 bucks a month. And I would go to Google twice a week anyway with my friends just to eat for free. Because I was like, <laughs> I could have saved some money. Here. They're like, can we get rid of this guy? He wanted a job. He doesn't want a job. Like, what the hell? That's probably why they put that rule in place. I think now you can only bring two guests twice a month. It's like because of Ramit Sethi, <laughs> that guy. So, um, so we did this startup. And did it for years and years, grew it, raised all this venture capital. I would say I learned a lot in that process. I learned about taking risks. I learned about betting on myself and working with a great team. I remember one example where I was living in Mountain View, but going up to San Francisco maybe four times a week to go out with my friends. And it's about an hour apart. And I was thinking about moving up there, but it would have been a huge increase in expense. Now, if you look at the numbers... I probably shouldn't have done it. I could have, but I probably shouldn't have. But I did it anyway. And I think this was an example of sometimes you can't run your life just by the numbers, right? Sometimes you have to trust your instinct. And hey, I might've gotten it wrong and maybe it wouldn't have worked out. I would have moved back down or gotten an extra roommate. But it's kind of ironic that here you have the author of I Will Teach You To Be Rich telling everyone like, sometimes you don't need to run your life by the numbers. But I do believe that. I believe you should get your numbers in order, have the basics in place, know your basic frameworks, all the stuff from chapter four and five of my book. But then sometimes you got to take a leap. And maybe it doesn't work, but just as often, maybe it does work. And, and that was, that has proven to be a big change for me. I love that. I, and it's that I was wanted to talk about some of your rules and I looked at your rules and I, there was so many of them that it was helpful for me to like articulate in a way and kind of empower me to do. And some of the ones that I really loved was earn enough to work with people that I respect and like, 
obsessed, no limit on health and wellness spending, which, yeah, those were the two that I like really loved. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to speak to those. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because typically I think when people think about money rules, they think about restriction and all the things you can't do. Almost all the money rules out there are uh, no lattes, no new jeans, no vacations, no, no, no. I just hate that. I, I don't want to live a life of no. Like I come here with this beautiful setting. We're in New York. I want to live a life of yes. And being able to come here on a weekday and say, hey, let's do this. Let's get into it. And I find that all of my friends do too. It's just that the advice we get from the headlines in the news, uh, all the blog posts on Reddit or all the on Twitter and Reddit, it's always telling us what's wrong. Oh, student loan debt crisis, healthcare crisis. Maybe true. Have we taken control and have we decided to live a life of yes? So I decided I wanted to put together 10 rules just to show people I have a few rules that guide my money life. And um, one of them is, hey, if I want to earn a lot of money and I've built a business to be able to do that and to travel, then I always ask, what do I get? And I think this is a really powerful question because a lot of people listening are working long hours and you got to ask yourself, what do you get? You better be either making a lot of money or building amazing skills or some relationships. You better ask yourself, what do I get? So I'm an entrepreneur. My wife's an entrepreneur. We work hard. Sometimes we work weekends. What do we get? And we decided we want to travel a lot. So we can talk about that. But that's what we get. In this case, because I've earned money, I don't ever have to work with someone who I don't respect or like. Bottom line. Mm. And that is incredibly empowering. If someone tries to pull some shady stuff, thank you very much. That doesn't align with my values. See you later. Yep. Um, the other one was uh, unlimited spending. Yeah. I'm wellness stuff. Okay. I help them wellness stuff. So I always like to ask people, what do you love to spend money on? Actually, what's the answer for both of you? Exactly that. Health yeah. and wellness. Yeah. Same. Yeah. So how do you spend it? Like... I like to do healings. Like we just do, it's just experimental. Reiki healing, sound baths, massages. I've gotten two massages in like a week. <laughs> it's disgusting. And like really amazing. healthy food. Yes. Ah. Really healthy, nourishing There's food. There's no limit to the food, budge. Truly. I love it. No limit. See, I love hearing this. This is what I call a money dial because everyone can turn that dial yeah. way up. Mm -hmm. We were talking about clothes before we started and um, I love spending on clothes. My wife's a personal stylist as well. And so- uh, I, I had this amazing conversation with a young woman in Pasadena. I was at a book event. So her, I asked people, what do you love to spend on? Hers was um, clothes. And I was like, um, she, uh, where do you shop? She goes, top shop. I go, cool. I go, what would you do if you could quadruple your spending? She goes, I would have so many boxes in my apartment. <laughs> she was just loving it. And I go, I go, where would you shop? She goes, top shop. And I go, you're spending 2X, 4X, 10X. Do you still think you'd be shopping at Topshop? And she was so confused. It's not surprising because most mm. of us are so linear. We think, oh, I love to spend on food. If I quadruple my spending, I'll just eat out four times a week. No, you'd probably, like a, a reader of mine in DC, you, he said, I have a list of Michelin starred restaurants yeah. and I'll go to everyone. I said, who would you take with you? He goes, my family. 
because they've never been able to afford that. Oh, I love that. So for mm-hmm. me, I said, I love this brand. I went to Italy. I went to their headquarters. I saw the artisans making it by hand. And I took my wife and that was very rewarding to see where it comes from. So health and wellness is like that. For me, I have a trainer, food, nice. all that stuff. Yes. And that's, I would rather spend a lot on that, but then I have my seven-year-old laptop, right? Love that. Spend extravagantly mm-hmm. on the things you love, cut costs mercilessly on the things you Love mm. that. From the people that you hear, you know, who are reading your book, who are following you on Instagram, do you find that people are worrying about particular things that they should not be worrying about? All the time. <laughs> can you give some examples? I mean, can, can everyone just stop talking about lattes and feeling guilty and anxious about a $3 expense? People spend their entire lives asking $3 questions and they should really be asking $30,000 questions. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, my latte. Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm so bad. Should I get this cheesecake? <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Why are we talking about this? <laughs> so have you talked about your automatic investment or your asset allocation? Or have you called your family in the last week? How about that? Those are $30,000 or even $3 mm-hmm. million dollar questions, right? And if you ask people, well, let's do it right now. What are the two or three things in your life that are really important to you? What would you say? Mm. Almost 30. Mm -hmm. Almost 30 nation. That's one. (laughs) (laughs) Almost 30. Almost 30 nation. My friends. Okay. Family. And then almost 30. Great answer. Okay. Yeah. Almost 30. um, My family and my new boyfriend. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love it. Okay. I'm just thinking of focuses in my life. Mm-hmm. I like, like that. That's a focus. So first of all, what I love is that they came pretty quick. You didn't miss a beat. When I ask people this, um, typically their answers are like friends and or family, travel, and whatever the third one might be. And then the next question I say is, let's take a look at the last one to two weeks of your calendar. Have you spent... The, the commensurate amount of time on it. And I think with work, yes, usually people are working a lot. But with family, it's one of those things that's important but not urgent, right? And what we discover quickly is that it's easy to say we're interested in something like health, but if we look at our last week or two, it's often very common that people are like, oh, well, I usually work out three times a week, but the last couple of weeks have been crazy. Yeah, it's funny, that like, always yes. comes up. So... What I'm not saying is you should feel guilty about this. No, Mm. what I am saying is if those three things are important to you, spend extravagantly, spend money and or time and you'll feel great. If it's your family, set up a time to call them every Thursday night on video, whatever it is. Uh, I think that most people are worrying about these rinky dink things and they can spend the next 30 years worrying and they get nowhere. But if they mm-hmm. just double down on the three or four most important, what I call big wins, wow, life would be amazing and also simpler. Mm. Yeah, the family thing's so interesting because mm-hmm. I think everyone would say like, do you love your family? Are they the most important thing? And everyone would, you know, a lot of people would say yes, but it's like, how much time do you spend with them or calling them or like invested in them? Mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't correlate. Yeah. It doesn't. And it's easy to see why. you. We kind of expect them to always be there. Yeah. Right? Yes. Like, oh, my parents are always going to be there. But I think as we're getting older, this is a conversation I'm having with a lot of my friends and readers too. I'm, you know, 37. It's like, wow, our parents are getting older. I know. And mm. how long are they going to be around? And also how mobile are they going to be? 
able to travel, able to experience things. So not to make it a downer, but rather the opposite to say, let's invest, let's go surprise them. Let's go take them on a trip or take them on an experience or send them to a concert because we can afford to do that. That feels amazing to a lot of us. Yeah. And as, you know, kind of in the same vein, but like as we change as people, like our spending will change, Mm -hmm. you know? So, but I feel like people are like, no, I, I don't spend money on that. Like, or I <laughs> yes. save in this way. Oh my God. And so like, you know, as either what you earn changes yeah. or um, what your in, your interest changes, yeah. can you speak to that? And like how we can kind of like maybe we'll chill out and yeah. okay, so <laughs> evolve. Has, how has your spending changed? I'll tell you about mine as well. Hmm. I pretty much stay, I guess I, I made, when I was made, I probably just, spend as much as I was making for a long time. Mm. And then now I'm finally able to save in the past year or so. Cool. But it, uh, but really it was like, as um, I made more, I just spent that amount. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I would stay at like a consistent amount per month and now it like fluctuates. And now that I have more, I spend less because I don't feel that urge of like the no. Yes. Where it's like, don't spend, don't spend. And then I wanted to even more. Thank you for being so candid about that. Yeah. Okay. I hear you on that. And there's something very freeing about knowing I could buy that. Oh yes. But now I don't really I keep thinking that all the time because I'm so focused on, on money right now. Mm. And I'm like, and every, like I just catch myself during the day. I'm like, so what would I do if I had $2 million in my bank account right now? What would be different about this Mm -hmm. moment? Wow. And so often it's, there's nothing. (sighs) That's amazing. For everyone listening, just to really unwind, unpack that is, it's so common for us to use money as an excuse or as a destination that we will never reach. If only I made six figures, if only I could stay at the four seasons, if only I had a million bucks. And then if someone probes them and says, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. What would that feel like right now? Here we are, we're having a drink, we're with our friends. What would that feel like? And they're like, there'd be no change at all oh, I'd be able to maybe fly in a different seat on an airplane. Well, if you really wanted to, you could probably do that right now. But suddenly we take away this excuse of money. And again, if you want to earn more money, great. I could show you how to do that. But money is, it's funny. I'm the, I will teach you to be a rich guy. But I always say money is a small but important part of a rich life. It's not everything. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm really Mm -hmm. encouraging people double down on the other important things. Okay, so I love what you said. And then what about how your money spending has changed? Definitely similar. Um, But I think too, to add to that, it's like, it's dependent on where I am geographically. So when I was living in New York, I was... I was just spending money because I'm like walking around like you can just spend money all the time. And I wasn't, I just didn't respect myself enough to just think about, about saving and at the time when I was in New York, I was also like making a lot of cash as bartender, waitress, all the things. So I didn't really have this concept of money that it was healthy. I think I was just kind of, I was paying my rent, I was paying my bills. And then it was like dinners going out. It was a lot of that. And now in LA, barely go out. I'm spending money on bills, living expenses, again, the health and wellness thing is like basically my extra spend to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. And then maybe travel when I travel outside of work. But I think I, I feel like I've settled down and also in the last year, really starting to save and like 
understand what that feels like for me and what's realistic. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Yes. Not to turn this into my podcast, but yeah, I, it's I your have podcast. to. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, we're, who's it's the fine. boss here, right? <laughs> when you said um, you didn't respect yourself enough, mm-hmm. what does that mean? I I just wasn't. I was holding on to this story that I kind of grew up with. I I was always the example that I had was interesting um, in that like when money was around, it was like, woo, life's good. And then when money wasn't, it yes. was like, oh fuck. How interesting. And this is stressful. And was this part of your family upbringing? Yes. Okay. So when I had money, I was like, woo, yep. let's like live it up. Yep. You know what I mean? And then when I didn't, I was like mm, low. I got you. Know? you. And, I, and I just, I was like, how could you do that? You did, know, did I, you ever connect your spending to your upbringing? A hundred percent. Oh, you did. From wow. Very early on. Wow. Didn't mean I learned. Right. You acknowledged it, but it didn't necessarily change. Cause behavior. I thought I was like, Oh, this is in my DNA. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is who I am. <laughs> right. That's your identity. Yeah. I, but now through therapy learned. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We can change our story. I, I remember these stories are really powerful, right? I remember growing up skinny Indian dude, I never saw a superhero who looked like me. Mm-hmm. No one had brown skin and hairy arms like this guy. So I saw guys that looked like Superman, right? Big white guys yeah. with no hair on their body. And so I thought I'm just a skinny Indian guy. That's what I said. I would actually joke about it. And it took me into my mid twenties to, to say, you know what? I'm going to try to change this. Even to be able to say the words to one of my buddies at work, can you, take me to the gym and show me how to work out. I didn't even know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And like in my family, we did not use the word protein ever. Okay. And we certainly, I was not learning deadlifts from my dad when I was 14 <laughs> years old, right? My, my mom was giving me spelling bee quizzes and I crushed it, but we're not doing Olympic lifts. Okay. So, so those messages really, yes, you carry them. And some of us are fortunate enough to, to actually go through therapy or to think about and interrogate them and maybe change. Many of us just have these peculiar behaviors and we never connect them. So that's mm-hmm. amazing you were able to. The other question I wanted to ask you was, you said that you've finally gotten to the place where you, uh, you've you started to save. And I wanted to ask you, what does that feel like? Because it must be very different than the previous years of your life. Um, it feels free. Mm. It feels exciting. Okay. And I think I've been able to get to that place by talking about it. So like whether we're having conversations on the podcast or even like recent conversations with my boyfriend where it's a very like open conversation. Cause in my house, like yeah. money talk was stressful. So we just didn't do it. Yes. So now it's just like very open. And I'm like, Oh my God, this feels good. I can do it. But you know, for the people listening, I got to ask the question. When you talk about saving, for most people, saving feels like restriction. It feels like saying yeah. no. Yeah, so no. how can it feel freeing to you? I think so much of it has been organization and having that in place, you know, whether it is kind of like setting up for retirement and feeling really good about that, um, having that automated and then having goals. Like for me, and Kristen and I talk about this, it's just like, as we 
earn more money, like that affords us that space to save more and also continue our lifestyle. Like I've never been, it's just not my personality to, to restrict and like punish myself in that way. Cause it does feel like I'm punishing myself. So I've always kind of figured out a way to like earn more. I've always kind of had these like little side jobs and now with almost 30, we can get really creative with how we, how we earn money. So yeah, it, it's always, it's felt really, really free. I, I hope everyone listens to what you just said because it's very profound. The whole idea that saving can make you feel free. And I totally agree. I feel the same way. I have saved, I started saving for my wedding when I was in my mid twenties. I didn't even meet my wife until I was in my thirties. But you know, okay, I, was a, I know it sounds a bit psycho, but I was ahead of the game when it comes to money, right? I already had my stuff in order. That's why I do what I do. So I said, great, I'm gonna save for 10 years in the future and I'm gonna save for a ridiculous wedding and an amazing ring and all this stuff. And it wasn't that much money I was putting away because it was over the course of so long, but it felt good to know that I'm gonna be 10 years older one day. I might as well just have this and just putting a little bit away. And then when it came time to use it, I was like, yes, mm-hmm. let's go. What did that look like? Like how much did you have to save? How did you do that? Okay, so I basically, uh, I made it, I call it the 10-year saving strategy. And this is in the book too. Basically, uh, once you hit your basic savings goals, you just- Which is what? Uh, okay, so you want to have a six month, six to 12-month emergency fund. You want to be investing- Which is, sorry, six months of your salary? Of your expenses. Of your expenses, Of okay. your bare bones expenses. Okay. So just as a very simple example with simple math, if your expenses were $3,000 a month, that's if you cancel cable and blah, blah, blah. That would be, what I say, three eighteen thousand, right? And, and if you want to get more aggressive, you can and save more, whatever. But keeping it simple- if you then are doing your investments, so you are contributing to your 401k, maybe an IRA, and if you're putting away 10 to 20%, that's really good. These numbers are all detailed in, in more detail. Um, I was hitting my basic goals because I kept my expenses low and my earnings went up, just as many people do in their 20s, certainly in their 30s. I was like, okay, what what's next? And so... I did take time to spend on the things I loved. I traveled a little more. I started buying a little bit nicer clothes. I got a trainer. And so then I asked people who were 10 years older than me, what do you wish you'd saved for? And they were like, oh, let me list the ways. <laughs> Down payment, da 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 So I just started putting away a little bit. And the way I did it was I made some assumptions. I said, how much do I think a wedding is going to cost? When do I think I'm going to be married? And then I just put a monthly amount aside, automatic. So I never saw it. So let's just pretend it was a hundred bucks a month. Okay. So that's 1200 bucks a year. And it just went away automatically. After a while, you don't even remember it, but your sub savings account is growing. And keep in mind, you can do this for a vacation too. Mm -hmm. In fact, when couples start talking about money, the first thing I encourage them to do is to talk about what's one amazing thing they want to spend a good amount of money on. They're like, Oh, I want to take a trip to Greece. Awesome. Ballpark it. How much is it going to cost? You want to go for five days, blah, blah, 5,000. Okay, great. Divide that by 12, automate it into a grease sub savings account. Now we can start having fun with money 
instead of all the negativity that is so typically associated with it. Yeah, the sub savings accounts were so helpful for me. Mm. That was like one of the things awesome. that was like really impactful for me and just visualizing, you know, it's yeah. helpful just to visualize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gives you something to save for and yeah. look forward to. Yeah. Like vacation, uh, beautiful anniversary dinner at whatever restaurant or, you know, whatever it could be. It's as opposed to this ambiguous blob of yeah. 1500 bucks. What's that for? I think I'll just spend it tonight. Yeah. And when you have just a lot, when I have like a large sum, it, it doesn't feel as productive yeah. as the sub savings accounts. Yeah, totally. These are the things that I think if you grow up, some people are very fortunate to grow up with parents who are financially sophisticated. They teach them this stuff. Many do not. And so you feel like you've got a, others have one leg up. I would say that learning some of the basic stuff we just talked about is powerful. Also, this is a really big one. The way that you make real money is not by putting your money in a savings account. It's by investing it. And this is like profound. So people think, oh, I saved up X dollars. Like, good job. That is good. But the truth is it's actually invisibly losing money every single day because of inflation. But the real way you grow your money is by investing it. And I know people are, it's very common. People are nervous. It feels like gambling, all this stuff. In reality, that is the primary way that people achieve wealth in this country. And it's actually really simple. You don't have to be sitting there looking at PE ratios. You can do it. You can automate it and then spend less than an hour a month on your finances. That is pretty much the extent of what people should be doing once they've set their systems up. Mm. What would be first step for investing for people? I guess, would you say like pay off credit cards first Um, before people invest? I guess if you want to go, so I have a thing called the ladder of investing and it's like the five steps of what, what goes first. So the first step is actually a bit counterintuitive. If you have a 401k match at work, you got to take it. And uh, just to give you an example, that is basically free money. Okay. So that's the first step. The next step would be credit card debt. And then I talk about, you know, this account and that account, IRAs, et cetera. Here's why. If you have a little extra money, you have to know where it goes first. And it seems like this is uh, splitting hairs because why don't we just put in a savings account or some, whatever a 401k is, but it actually ends up making you a lot of money over your lifetime. And these numbers are very counterintuitive. I want to give you just one example so everyone listening uh, can understand how crazy these numbers are. Has anyone here had maybe a parent who's used a financial advisor? Right? A lot of us have heard of someone who does. They're like, oh, it's like paying someone who mows my lawn. You know, They're the expert with money, so I'll just pay them. And a lot of advisors will charge a percentage, like 1%. Oh, it doesn't sound like that much. They're the expert. Over the course of your lifetime, let's say that you make $100,000 in investment gains. Let's just say for easy math. How much do you think that advisor would cost you with that 1% fee? 1% a year? 1% a year. A million. So how many years? You made $100,000 over the course of your life, let's just say. How much, if, if they're charging yeah. you 1% 80, per year? $80,000, like, depending on how long. Wow. So you made a hundred thousand. So it's got to be less than a hundred thousand. <laughs> oh. No, you're you're kind of ruining I, my example I, with your no, math. Here. Because I, we're I, 
so good. I'm like, dude, I'm like, one percent. You're like, no, you're like, you made a hundred thousand. They made two million. I'm like, shit. This example really bombed. Damn it. Okay, okay, okay. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tell you the answer. Please, please do. You know what? It's your fault. I mean, it's my fault, not yours. It's your fault for assuming that we would know the math. Oh my god. All right, I'm killing this math example. No, 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 we're killing it. Okay, okay. Where do I even pick up? (laughs) Okay, put it this way. Okay, okay. Okay. You think it's like paying someone to mow your lawn? Wrong. One percent a year doesn't sound like that much, but twenty-eight percent of your returns will go into that person's pocket. That's twenty-eight thousand dollars of that one hundred thousand dollars. Oh wow! And if it's a million bucks, that's two hundred eighty thousand. That's fucking nuts that's so much so why am i saying this i'm saying it because the numbers in investing are very counterintuitive so you got to learn a little bit i teach this stuff in the book and don't just assume that oh i'm putting money away in a savings account that's enough because if you get a couple things right you never have to worry about lattes or cheesecake or diet coke again you buy all that you want because you're compounding a lot Mm. yeah i think that is very, very valuable. And yeah, it's these ways in which like we're losing money that we don't realize. We don't even know. Yeah. yeah and we're so fixated on oh, $3 expense. It's like, dude, you're losing 1800 bucks a month because you didn't do the right account. Just get that right. You go buy 50 lattes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It drives yeah. me crazy. I love that. I wanted to, I, I was listening to you on Tim Ferriss from a while back. Um, so switching gears a little bit, but I think this is this applies to, you know, our audience between twenty five and thirty five ish. You know, it's the talk about a prenup, yeah. um, and even just the general conversation about money in a relationship. I would love to just kind of give our listeners some advice on that. You know, I'm I'm learning. Okay, yeah. Not not talking about a prenup yet, but I'm just curious, like what that experience was like for you. Oh wow, it was. Uh... It was like nothing I had ever expected because I didn't grow up knowing about prenups right. and no one in my family friends had a, I mean, most of the people that I grew up with were like doctors and engineers. Mm. Okay. If you're a good Indian kid, that's what you become. Mm. So, uh, this didn't come up until, um, uh, my wife and I, my, at that time, fiance and I, we started talking about money. By the way, that's too late. Yeah. <laughs> I totally screwed that up. Mm. Even the money guy messed this one up. So when should you talk about money? I think that's a question. And I would say when you make a joint decision to get more serious and whether that is moving in together or being exclusive with a clear line of sight on an engagement, I think it's time to have the conversation about how much do we make? How do we think about money? Do we have any debt? That kind of thing. Now, in my case, my wife had asked me to help her with some 401k thing. So I kind of knew about her finances. So then she came to me and she goes, hey, I, I don't really feel like this is fair because I don't know anything about your numbers. I was like, show me mine. I'll show you yours. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, you're like, what? I violated <laughs> chapter nine of my own book. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, so, okay. So we had a conversation about it and I said, I, I told her the numbers and that was scary to me because I had never told mm. anyone outside of my finance team about my full numbers. So I, I would say that um, it was actually an amazing conversation. One of our most memorable, certainly for me, because we got to talk about what kind of life do we want to create together. And 
And then we just sat down and just talked about it like for hours, like, where do we want to live? What do we want to do? What do we want to do with our parents? Both of our parents Mm -hmm. are alive. They like each other. We took them on our honeymoon for part of it. So like we, we opened our eyes to the possibilities of what we could do. And to me, this is the quintessential part of, I will teach you to be rich is what can money do to help you live a rich life? Mm -hmm. It was not about worry and interest rates. It was like, what kind of life do we want to live? So that was great. That was awesome. (laughs) And then uh, we had another conversation because this is a series of conversations. This one, we had a, a, like a very formal, let's talk about, uh, you know, getting engaged and all this stuff. So I, I made a Google calendar alert or Google calendar. I brought my agenda to the meeting as I train <laughs> so everyone sexy. in my company. <laughs> I know. Logistics are sexy people. Listen up. <sighs> you got to be prepared. So I was like, uh, my topics were, do we want to have kids? How many kids? What do we want to name these kids? Like I told Cass, I was like, I don't want some kid named Mike running around. And, yeah, you know, that ain't. I never, totally. You know what I mean? Sorry, yeah. Mike. Sorry, Sorry, Mike. Mike. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, you know, a few other, like, where do you want to live? That kind of thing. And then I w- and then at the end, I was like, uh, oh. the, the, uh, there's, there's something else. And I, I, I had practiced and I basically brought up to my fiance at the time that it was important to me that we discuss a prenup. And this, okay, so when I think about a prenup before this conversation, it was always from the movies. It was some rich asshole taking advantage of some unknowing person, usually a woman. And it was always like, it always went poorly. Mm -hmm. And that was what I grew up with. That was the cultural context or that I grew up with. Would you agree? Like that's kind of- Yes, for sure. It was like Holly Madison and um, Hugh Hefner. That's oh what I of. yeah, okay. <laughs> it's like shit like that. Well, okay. Uh, first of all, I'm definitely not Hugh Hefner, so <laughs> sorta. <laughs> I'm like, let's talk about asset allocation, everyone. <laughs> okay, so that was what I think we all grew yeah. up. Yeah, <laughs> and I learned that that is incredibly damaging and incredibly off base. Mm. So I learned that prenups are super uncommon. So there's a reason that most of us only learn about it from movies because most like 99% of people do not need to sign one. You only sign one if you're bringing in a substantial amount of income into a marriage or a substantial amount of any kind of assets or liabilities into a wedding, uh, into a marriage. So um, I spent a lot of time with my wife talking about why. And um, I said, look, like you've seen my lifestyle for the last several years. I've lived in the same apartment for over 10 years. I don't drive a Lamborghini, right? I, yeah, I like a couple sweaters here and there, but I like to save money and I like to spend it on family and I like to travel a bit with you. So you know my lifestyle and you also know that we grew up very similarly. And I think that was really important because we both of our moms were teachers. We both grew up pretty similar socioeconomically, similar values. Mm-hmm. And I said, because of the decisions that I made with my business, And because of luck, honestly, I've been able to accumulate this capital. And I believe we're going to be together forever. That's why I want to get married to you. That's why I asked you. But I also think that because of this um, capital and because of the business I've built, I think it's important that we discuss what that looks like in the worst case. And 
at this point, like my heart was pounding and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. like, what, what happens next? And, um, and to her credit, she, my wife was not expecting it. She just said, okay, I wasn't expecting that, but I'd like to learn more and, and, um, and talk more about it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Great. I was like, the, I was like, okay, Aww. cool. Can we like finish this now? I'm done. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I gotta go puke. You're like, puke. Sounds good. You're like, sign here, please. I was like, are we done? But you know, that was the, that was um, the beginning. And I have to say that also that um, this kind of stuff is nowhere on the internet, nowhere. And that's why I'm actually really glad you asked, and also really glad to talk about it. And I asked my wife before I went on a few podcasts, and she said, please because we found it so difficult Mm. to go through the process. We ended up needing to go see a therapist because we were just at an impasse. It actually uncovered a lot of stuff that I didn't even know about myself. Uh, Like I'll give you one example, five love languages. Um, Mm. What are yours? What are your love languages? Mine's touch Mm -hmm. and quality time. Great. Uh, Words of affirmation, physical touch. Mm. Great. Mine is acts of service. Mm. And, um, like, I totally do not care about words of affirmation at all. Like, my wife's like, oh, that's like, a, that you look great. I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it just, it doesn't, I don't totally. care. Right? But I discovered in therapy that there is one area where I do want words of affirmation. And that was for the financial success mm. that I've created. And I'm really proud of it. And I'm proud of the lifestyle that we get to live together and it kind of blew my mind to discover that I actually did want words of affirmation for that. It was so unlike me. And so this is the kind of thing that a therapist helped me. I was so, I wasn't skeptical, but I just, I'm like, uh, I know self-development, yep. but we can all use help. Mm-hmm. And so uh, going through the process, you know, it opened up so many different conversations. Like how do we see money? Uh, like when you think of money, what word comes to mind for you? Freedom. Wow. Mm. Rich. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so mine is uh, like freedom. Uh, I agree. Uh, my wife's was safety. Wow. I was like safety. Yeah. That's very feminine. Yeah. And I was like, that's like, like holding up a shovel and me saying safety. Like it doesn't connect at all. For yeah. Me. But to her, it was so crystal clear. I was like, what is happening right now? Yeah. So we, we got to explore that. And honestly, we never would have mm. gotten as deep had we not had this forcing function of signing this. So we did end up signing it and we found uh, uh, a common ground. And I would say that if there's anything you take away from this, I hope it is um, number one, that don't listen to movies because it's all bullshit what people say. It's not some evil man or woman trying to screw someone. There are legitimate reasons. Number two, almost nobody needs a prenup. Number three, the way that these work happens behind closed doors. And the wealthier you get, the less you will find it on blogs or Twitter or Reddit. This stuff is all behind closed doors. And there's a reason for that. That's why Mm. you pay for lawyers. Uh, And then fourth, whether or not you do a prenup, having these really deep, rich discussions about what can go well and also what might happen in the worst case, so important. Yeah, that's so powerful. I'm so thankful that she was Mm -hmm. open to sharing. Me too. That's very kind. and I think really people really value and appreciate that. For people that come into a conversation that are in a different situation that maybe have shame 
around their financial situation and aren't coming in where they're like fucking need to bring up. What would, what would you say? Yeah. How should they facilitate that conversation? Maybe they're coming in and they have a bunch of debt. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. common. Yeah. So the common uh, thing is avoidance because it is in America, it's shameful. And yeah. the irony is that so many have debt, but so many are ashamed of it. I, I asked a lot of my friends, um, what would you do if you found out that your fiance had like 20K of debt. And the answers were very interesting. So they said, what kind of debt and why? And it's one thing if it's, let's say, 20K of student loan debt. It's another thing if it's 20K of credit card debt. That's point number one. Point number two is what are you doing about it? So the best thing that I've heard from people who write me now is that the partners had a conversation they kind of brought their finances to the table, which I talk about in chapter nine. And if somebody had debt, they said, look, here's a situation. Here's how much I have. Most people don't even know how much they owe, by the way. Here's how much I have. Here's why. And here's what I'm doing about it. And if you can do that, if you can say that, yeah. most people find that not only comforting, but actually very attractive. Mm-hmm. So that's been my experience. Love that. Last question from me. Um, I loved what you kind of, you know, hinted to earlier, like turning up that money dial. I think that's what you said. Did you say money dial? Yeah, money dial. Yeah. Um, but just this broader idea of of thinking bigger, and I know you've talked about this before, like building that muscle to yeah. think bigger um, really excited me. So I'd love for you to just kind of expand upon that, yeah. that idea. I do want people to think bigger with how they spend money Mm -hmm. and also how they live their lives. Yeah. Like I said, those $3 questions just drive me crazy. Like basically what, sometimes I get these questions. I'm like, why are we talking about this? Like there's so many more important things you could be talking about. And if you're mired in the weeds on a $10, but it allows them to not take action. Bingo. Mm -hmm. Bingo. It's so um, seductive to, to be mired in these details. And I think anyone who has had, who's been in a bad relationship, it's a perfect analogy. They're like, he said this, or she said that, or he did that. And anyone from the outside is like, why are we talking about this? Just leave. I think you, you had a good example. Was it on Tim where it was about diet culture? Oh my God. Or it was about dieting. Mm. Yeah. Well, okay. So. Or losing weight. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. And this was a bit controversial for my book. So in 2009, when my first edition of I Will Teach Bridge came out, I made the analogy of, um, a fitness, fitness and food versus money and how there's so many similarities. We debate minutia, keto, whole 30, eating after 11 PM. And then in finances, you know, $3 lattes and, uh, should I do this type of investment and day trading and all this stuff. And the bottom line is if we get the basics and the fundamentals right over the long term, we're going to be successful. Are we working out or exercising in some way? Are we watching what we eat? Similarly, are we saving and investing? And are we spending on the things we love? Do those things and you don't have to worry about the tiny minutia. Well, in 2019, when I released the second edition of my book, I had feedback from some people who said, you can't put that in there anymore. Fitness and food, it's too controversial to talk about that. And it was strong feedback. And I actually refused. I said, no, this is going in because more than ever, Over the last 10 years, I had changed my body. I had transformed with the help of teachers and trainers. I believe that we have control. 
Now, I believe it's harder for some of us. Mm-hmm. I believe that some of us, like I said, I didn't learn deadlifting in my teens, but we can all start from where we are and work. So same with money. You might be in debt. So it's like, oh yeah, Mr. Ramit over here talking about prenups. That's not the level you're playing at. That's totally fine. But what can you do today to start saving and investing? And I will tell you that when I have, I, I, you know, a lot of folks um, write me on my email list and they have this sort of millennial angst attitude. Like it's become cool to be totally disaffected and I have zero tolerance for it. I'm like, hey, let's actually do this together. It's not that hard. And if you do a couple things right now, your life is incredibly bigger than you could have even imagined. So I do want people to see an example of someone who looks like them, whether it's a man or a woman or this type of skin color, this, they're living in this city saying, you know what? I used to dream small, but now I dream much bigger. That would be the, the beauty of I will teach you to be rich. Mm, beautiful. And I, I wanted to talk about the shift to like the contractor entrepreneurial economy that we're in. Yeah. And, you know, so many women of our community are in corporate jobs. They want a side hustle. They want to cultivate that, or they have a a few clients or they're contractors. And I want to, I guess, talk about that shift and things that people should look out for, like what implications that is for saving, investing in money. Because I think that there's a lot that people don't really realize or recognize about it. Well, the the freelancing uh, economy I think is really a shift to a freedom-based economy where it used to be that um, if you think about what a rich life was, maybe even for our parents, it was <laughs> like a nice house, suburban house, 2.5 kids, uh, a country club membership if you were really made it, and a china cabinet. Like, I don't want a china cabinet. It's like, who? And hey, that was great for the time. <laughs> that's so funny. I do not want it. My mom had this china. It's called Harrods. Okay, that's was, pretty nice, right? Yeah, it was like this like painted china and she would like get one every year for Christmas. Dude, why is china so ugly that's sometimes? That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> My parents had like ones with bugs on it. Yeah. yeah Dude, yeah, ours yeah. was like... Why? Ours anyway. was like a Kyoto oh. vibe. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of Ohio, baby. Yeah, kind of dope, but we're also in Ohio. So. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, like I remember when we went shopping for our registry, we went to one of these uh, department stores here and they gave us the little gun. And I was thinking like, this must've been someone's dream to come to the big city. And (laughs) it was on sex in the city. Charlotte had a moment. Oh my God. We walked through, I don't know, two or three floors, right? We scanned three things and one of them was a $3 spatula. I'm like, this sucks. Who wants, like, it just wasn't for me. And it's just like things. things. I don't want things. I want, and I think a lot of us want the freedom to be able to work from home or work from a a WeWork or whatever. I think we want the freedom to be able to travel more and more spontaneously. I think we want the freedom to be able to get a group of friends together and say, let's go. Let's go for just a three-day weekend. That is, like, look look at your faces. It's like, yes. Mm-hmm. And if I said like, oh, we want to buy this Cadillac, we're just like, no, we don't. Yeah, don't like, We don't even mm-hmm. want a car, a lot yeah, of people. <laughs> so, so I think it starts there by saying, what is a rich life? And it's so different than what it used to be. And we should acknowledge that. First off, I just want everyone to know, never feel guilty about renting. I rent, I could buy a place right now. I rent on purpose. So one of the biggest lies that has been told in our culture mm. is, 
buying is always the best and you're throwing money away on rent. It's bullshit. Okay, so that's number one. And you have to ask yourself, what happens if I buy, right? Yes, you, you could have a good financial outcome, maybe, but you also lock yourself into an area and a mortgage for years and years. So it's okay to make different choices. I made different choices in my life and I would give everyone the encouragement, decide what your rich life is for you. That's number one. Number two is, okay, what do you do to get there? So we know there are these different classes now and we know there are some people who are just trapped. That they, and it used to be poor, middle class, and rich. The problem is everyone says they're middle class. Everyone. I, I, Even I, my family, I'm like, I don't know, man. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. It's, it, it's funny. I mean, I read this, I read a, a, a financial forum the other day and there was someone who or said- they say upper middle class. I'm like, I don't know, man. What do you think? I think middle. You think middle? Yeah. Well- check. I don't know, man. Again, I don't know, man. Okay. That's my thing. Okay. Is I don't know, man. Because I think, yeah, I just- this, this, this person who was writing on this forum said, um, we certainly, uh, we're 62, we have 4.5 million. We don't consider ourselves rich, just upper middle class. I'm like, you're rich, yeah. you are rich. So poor middle class and rich doesn't work in my opinion. I think there are different ways to look at it. I think there's like the trapped class where we are trapped. And this is a lot of people mm. who are living check to check very difficult to get out of there, very difficult to think about getting ahead. I think that there is a treadmill class, which I think most, many Americans are on, and it actually can be pretty good. You're like, oh, I have like a roof, I can get uh, seamless delivered, you know, I got high-speed internet, and uh, you know, I got a pretty good life. But how do you get ahead? And then there's the freedom class. And these are folks who can travel, who can do what we're doing. And for them, there are things like starting a business, which we talk about in our program earnable. And there are ways to take what you're skilled at and turn it into income. I mean, you both are an amazing example of that. It's so true. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I could talk to you for hours. I know. You're my favorite. Let um, me just make sure I don't have anything. Sorry, as a last part, just on the the earnable piece and yeah. then like with the dream job. Yeah. So many women of our community want to find that purpose and mm. passion. What do, what do you suggest for people when they're looking to find their reason? And their why. So the first thing I would say is um, get out of your head and go talk to your network. And the truth is almost everyone, I would say at least five out of 10 people will take your email or call if you send a, a great email that says, I've admired your career. I would love to spend 15 minutes learning how you made your decisions and learn a little bit from you. Mm. See, when we want to find our passion, you don't go inward you go outward. And so I would set up those meetings and I would start to take them. And I do think, I talk a lot about, about how to find your dream job, how to negotiate your salary as well, because it's a huge entree into the freedom class. But I would say, do not be satisfied with just waiting another year. Mm -hmm. Get impatient yeah. with yourself. Yeah. You would Sense be impatient with someone else. Yeah. If you were paying someone, whatever your salary is, 50K, 60K, 100K a year, if you were paying someone else that and they were just kind of complacent and stagnant, you would be like, no, I'm getting impatient with you. So get equally impatient with yourself. Yeah, mm. I completely agree. Amen. It's funny on the salary thing, we talked to a friend who works at a, a big company and she had a, someone applied for the job and 
you know, it was like an entry level position and they asked for a very high salary. And she's like, oh, that's, you know, I'm so curious of where you got that number. And she's like, I read about it on a refinery website. Oh, <laughs> it was like someone posted like, this is how much I make as like a, a person in this job. And that was like her only reasoning. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, okay. Okay. Interesting data point. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> like she's honest. Yeah. She's like, I like the bold. I like how bold, but like, <laughs> let's like back it up a little bit. Um, I want to talk about earnable. Yeah. Tell mm-hmm. us all about it. Okay. So years ago, I wanted to show people how to create their business. And there are a couple of big, two things that stop people. Number one, I don't have an idea. That's huge. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, where do I find an idea? And the second thing is I don't have time. So they're so stuck on the treadmill that they don't know how to take a step off and escape. And so I showed people in all these different industries how to start a business and then how to grow it. So we have folks now that started it. Some of them keep it small. They're like, I want to earn 10, 15,000 bucks a year extra on the side. I keep my full-time job and I'm good. I put it in the bank or I take a nice trip. Great. Some of them went on to start six-figure businesses. Like we had a caricaturist. She used to charge $8 an hour. We showed her how to turn into a multiple six-figure business. Okay. And then some of them went really big. They went into seven-figure, million-dollar-plus businesses, travel businesses, that kind of stuff. So we did this for years, and we refined it, and we built it out to tons and tons of customers. And then we just created a brand-new program called Earnable. And this one, we learned a couple things. We learned, number one, people want results faster. They don't want to spend nine months in research. They want to find paying clients fast. So we show them how to do that. Second thing is... People want in-person opportunities to get some feedback. Like we could have sat here and done this on Zoom, but there's nothing like yeah, being no, in the same room. Mm-mm, so no. I'm going on Great tour. You're here. Yeah. I know, so no, thank you. Can you I imagine if I said a million on Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, leave me. Yeah, be like, for some reason, my connection. Yeah. It just goes blank. Yeah, honestly. So I'm going on tour and I want to meet everyone who's listening to this. And I'm going to all these different cities across the country because I want to show people examples of what Mm -hmm. it looks like to start a business. I want to show them like the equivalent of an Indian superhero for me. I want to show them people in their city where they can see, wow, this person did it. And they're not like Scrooge McDuck, just like swimming in gold. No, they, they go to yoga on Wednesdays or they take their son or their daughter out to the park, Mm -hmm. right? They can take a three month vacation and their business still grows. That's what I'm going to show people. And so this is earnable. It's coming out. And um, I would love to help more people start their business and get into the freedom class. Oh, yeah. I love that. It's going to help a lot of people. Yeah. And then I will teach you be ri- to be rich. It was just updated last yep, year. The book. Yep. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Great. Because I think when I had it, the Ing, was it the Ing accounts, the orange ones? Yeah. yeah and ha- then those went away. Those, so yeah. I've updated the book with all the new accounts, Perfect. all the new tools, and also what to say if you have a partner and um, you need to have these conversations mm. about money. Because I was so frustrated in having these conversations with my wife. So I figured it out, went through the fire on our own, and then wrote down exactly what to say yeah. in the book. Of every finance book I've ever read, it was the most helpful, the oh, most applicable, truly. I tried much. a bunch of other ones. It was like, <laughs> you could tell me about those after I will, we do honestly. <laughs> so how can people find the book, find more about mm-hmm. all of the digital offerings that you have. You can find out about Earnable at IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com slash earn. IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com slash earn. The book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, it's on my site, it's on Amazon, it's at every bookstore and library. 
And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. Did you have to buy that? No. God, oh. I saw that. I was like, baller. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's That's not too still- many Ramits out there. Oh. That's but still baller. Well, yeah, it's baller. You. You the, one, the one name is baller. Yeah. <laughs> it's so baller. Thank you. Honestly. Thank you okay. for being we here. We love you guys. Thank you so much this for coming. Incredible. We will see you. See you soon. Thank you so much, Ramit. That was incredible. Again, if you want to learn more, you can go to IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. He has a new program out called Earnable, which is incredible. So if you're starting a business, he's going to teach you how to earn that money, honey. Earn that money. I want to take that. Yes. Um, You can watch the full video of this on YouTube. And there are clips on Almost 30 Podcast Instagram that we want to call your attention to. And we're looking forward to hosting you guys at one or all of the workshops for the new Paradigm Digital Series. Cannot wait to see you. And as always, thank you so much for subscribing to the podcast, for rating and reviewing. We just adore your reviews and read every single one of them. I just wanted to read a part of a review that we got the other day. It was so damn sweet. And this is from, this is called, Wow, This is a Long Time Coming. Uh, Krista and Lindsay, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I have listened to this pod for years and it has inspired, supported, and guided me through so many transitions, including graduating from college, leaving my long-term relationship, transitioning from the corporate world to my family, small business, and more. This pod has never left me feeling alone for a moment in these times, and it's made a difference. So sweet. And this is from Anna. Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. When you guys write those reviews, it just really, really touches us and it means so much to us in the pod. So we will see you at the workshop series. We will see you doing inner peace over the next couple months. Um, And as always, we are on Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram and then on all channels like YouTube, Pinterest, Twitter, you know. All the things. All the things. All right, have a great rest of your week and we'll see you next time. See you soon.